Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner. And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson. Brian, the leader within. Yes. The leader within. You know, when it, when someone is given the leadership role in doing anything, Brian, it's a lot. That's a big responsibility. That's a pretty big responsibility. And I know, Brian, you've been in that role before because when you're in that role, you have a lot of things on your shoulders and everybody's looking at you to make sure everything is okay. You know how you have a, a group of people and there's always one that will just take charge and everybody will uh, back that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it, yeah. You know, it, it's it, like, uh, oh, I'm sorry, are, go ahead. Yeah, are, are leaders born or are they taught? Hmm. But we're going to get into that. That's not for yeah, me. That's, a, that's a really <laughs> good question. Yes, yes, yes. But our guest tonight, Brian, he's going to answer that, and we're going to have fun. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I was just thinking, when you think about the leader within, and that's our topic for tonight, you know, you, you sometimes you think about the people that you normally see in there, and just like you said before, they always step up to the plate. You know, but the true fact is everybody has some form of leadership capabilities and qualities in them. It's just that at times they are not allowing themselves to dig deep within and pull it out, mm-hmm. you know. And a lot of times when you see people under pressure and, you know, people, some people work really well under pressure and that's their leadership coming out because it's being pushed out, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. But uh, to... Tonight's guest, he's going to give us some great insight on leadership and, you know, just how it's done. Yes, and Brian, we also want, uh, we want we're going to talk about his new book, Transforming Power. Yes. That's yes, going to yes. be, an, that's an awesome book. Please listen in, and Mr. our guest will, I'll let you introduce him, Brian. Our guest is going to tell you how to get that book. I think every business Every office, every person that's in any type of uh, organization that that inspires to be a leader, they need this book, Brian. Yes. This, this is, Even for the followers, I think they need to understand what a leader is. Yes. Because some people walk around thinking that they're leaders. And, mm-hmm. you know, they may not be doing the leadership thing. Mm-hmm. So they don't understand what leadership is. They just think, hey, I'm the leader. I'm in charge. Mm-hmm. You know? And Brian, but, uh, also too, for the businesses, for the people that are in charge of bringing in speakers, this is the person that you want to have come in and speak to your organization. Oh yes, oh this yes. This is the one. This, if you've been looking and thinking about one, this is the person that you need to bring in. Put him to work. He's been. <laughs> he's just returned. He just returned from Austria, Brian, and we're going to talk with him about that too. Uh, it's a very uh, interesting thing that he was a part of that I didn't know anything about, and now I'm interested in going to that uh, event in 2010. I think it's going to be in China. I think that's what he told me. Wow. All right. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour, and tonight our special guest is best-selling author Hugh Ballou. And Mr. Ballou, or Hugh, as he told me to call him, is the founder of Supervis. Center Vision International Incorporated, an international facilitation, consulting, and training practice in Blacksburg, Virginia. For many years, Hugh has been working with leaders in businesses, schools, churches, nonprofit organizations, and community groups, leading project teams to find consensus, even with very difficult decisions. And, Mr. Ballou, are you there? I am here. Welcome yes, to the Abundant sir. Solutions Hour. Well, thank you. I, I loved listening into your conversation about leadership. It's uh, if if you think you're leading and you look around and nobody's behind you, guess what? <laughs> you're not leading. You're, and I, I work with leaders doing all kinds of things. Uh, you referred to the project I work with called the World Choir Games, and they bring a whole lot of people together and do big projects. And I work with uh, 
entrepreneurs that have an idea on a napkin for a high-tech solution that's going to fix the world or change our lives dramatically. I have some amazing clients that have visions. And it really doesn't matter what people are doing. If they've got a vision then um, and they've got a belief system, they're going to find a way to get that done. I love reading about uh, famous people and how they did things. And uh, Napoleon Hill wrote Think and Grow Rich many years ago. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. And, you know, he, the story is he went uh, to interview uh, Carnegie, mm-hmm. Andrew Carnegie, um, from, for his law, a law school newspaper. Mm-hmm. And while he's interviewing Carnegie, Carnegie says to him, I'll introduce you to the most important people in the world if you'll do it for free. And Napoleon Hill thought about it, and he answered almost immediately. He said, I will, with enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't know that Carnegie had made that offer to many people who took way too long to decide. And Carnegie had behind the desk a stopwatch. And after, after three minutes, he re- would withdraw the offer. So being decisive, understanding that you, you have within you the vision and the enthusiasm and the passion for doing something. Mm-hmm. One of the people he interviewed was uh, the most prolific inventor in the world, Thomas Edison. And Thomas Edison didn't say, uh, I failed 9,999 times trying to invent the light bulb. He said, I found 9,999 ways that don't work. But eventually, I found a way that did work. Now, that is dedication. That yeah. is passion. And mm-hmm. you know what? Edison failed probably more times than he succeeded. So mm-hmm. I define success in leadership as getting up one more time than you fall down. So mm-hmm. I, I love you, hearing you talk about people who are leaders and people who are followers and people who think they're leaders. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's an interesting perspective. Do you think it's, it's just the way that they look at life's opportunities on a daily basis when they're given an opportunity, when someone you know, say, we choose you to do this. It's a reason that you're being chosen to do something. Uh, don't you think that's just a, a way that the, your peers are saying, we believe that you could do the job? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think there's, um, there's ownership that's a, that's a piece of this. If the, the person that, that is in charge of the, the project, the task, the event, whatever, whatever they're leading, or the team, if that person believes in what they're doing and has a passion for it, that's a fundamental, that's a fundamental piece. I do um, some coaching, executive coaching with leaders. I, uh, when you were reading about me, you read that I, I, I'm a facilitator. I help uh, people hire me to run effective meetings because, and there's one thing I didn't put in the bio that's become a key piece of my leadership training, I teach leadership based on my 40 years as a conductor of choirs and orchestras. And when you step on, up on a podium to conduct a rehearsal or a performance, you better know what you're doing. You oh, better yeah. know what you want. And you, you better be in charge. But on the other hand, you don't micromanage. If, uh, say, you have an orchestra and you've hired a very good oboe player to play the oboe, well, you don't tell the oboe player, how to play the oboe, you show them the tempo. You show them how you want the dynamics. You show them how you want the expression, and you balance that sound with the rest of the orchestra as it should be. So you, uh, you pretty much wave your hands, but nothing happens until somebody wants to play along and make music. So there's a lot of leaders, I don't care what they're doing, corporations, churches, schools, they want to tell everybody how to do things. So it's. I think it's good. You, you mentioned my book. There's stories in the book, and my first books are the how-to books: how to how to do this and how to do that. Mm-hmm. And I stopped one day and think, you know what? I'm inspired by seeing people do things and hearing them tell about why they did it and how they did it. And I'm the kind of person I can look at somebody and say, well, wow, if they could do it, why couldn't I do it? So the collection of stories uh, are from many, many perspectives, many projects, many uh, types of projects from many places. So there's sort of uh, something for everyone in that collection. So it's basically about about your passion for accomplishing a goal. 
Awesome. You know, Hugh, I was looking at uh, some of the articles that you've written, and the one that kind of piqued my interest was creating and sustaining healthy teams dealing with conflict in the workplace. And, you know, I think that's one of the probably most prevalent things that happens on in businesses, but probably the most least thing that's addressed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in the, I come from the South, and we say none of us is as smart as all of us. <laughs> and the grammar might be wrong, but the principle's good. Um, and and there are leaders that have immense resources right around them, and they're not beginning to tap those resources. And there are many leaders that feel like delegation is a sign of weakness. Um, I was interviewing somebody for a possibility for the book that I just published, and he, he built this big corporation and took it public. And his dad formed it, and he went to his team, his management team, and he said, I need your help with this project. I have the vision clearly in mind. I know where we need to go. But I didn't get this job from my skills. I got it because of my genes. So I need you to help me do this project. And every one of them bought into it, and every one of them took a piece of it. So as a conductor, and you stand in front of an orchestra or a choir, you really don't make music until you are willing to be transparent and be vulnerable in front of people and make music. As a leader, you need to tell people where it is. You need to tell them, this isn't my skill set, and I've got you on my team because you have that skill set. That's a sign of a strong leader with healthy self-esteem. And if you have people play into the pieces of it, you're still in charge. It's still your vision. You get to say, this is where we're going, but you don't need to plan every step for really qualified people. So I think conflict happens because of two things. We don't clearly articulate our expectations of each other, the leader to the team and the team to the leader. And then we don't let people use their skill set to do the pieces to get to the end. Um, and then we want to meddle with them. Give them the job and get out of their way. Mm -hmm. Affirm good work. The book is about transforming organizations, transforming lives, and ultimately about transforming yourself as a leader and, and being able to delegate, being able to help other people be leaders around you really builds up your leadership scale. It builds up your team. And it's surprising how conflict goes on the back burner um, when people are active and they have ownership in a project. And here's, when I go in to work with a team and there's some things going on under the surface, I have them hold out their hand and I say, put conflict and disagreement in this hand. Now, we'll call it a weapon, disagreement and conflict. We're going to flip it over to the other hand. Boom. We're going to call disagreement and conflict creative energy. We're going to call it creative solutions. So once people uh, get out of the paradigm of, of controversy and, in, and conflict against each other and see that as brainstorming and possibility thinking, that's a whole different paradigm. So it's just stepping out of your mold and looking at it differently uh, begins the journey towards success. You know, you said something that was so important, and, and I think it, it's, it's in all that we do, and no matter what we have as far as our talents and our gifts, uh, would you say communication skills come first? Because if you don't have the communication skills, no one will really know your talent and your gifts. Absolutely. Uh, ask for what you, what you need. Um, and you also, as a leader, it's important to ask open-ended questions and listen very carefully to the answers. Um, if you if you built a team of really, you've hired some of the best people you can get. You've hired people that are very smart because you want to have the very best organization you can. Now, there is the type of leader that gets really good people, and then they're intimidated by them, and they want to create solution uh, situations where only they can provide the solution. And I say to you, that's that defeats the morale, shoots them in the foot. So. Mm -hmm affirm people, let them take a piece of the, of the puzzle and let them take ownership. Because in the end result, you get the credit because you're the leader. 
and everybody looks good. You know, it, I think you have to have a lot of skills as far as persuasion, too, uh, to to have someone buy into what you're doing. And with that, would you say that confidence is something that has to show on the outside as well as you believing in yourself, that that confidence will show that you're pretty much selling what you're talking about or selling what you're doing so that others will be a part of it? Absolutely. Um, I think leadership's about relationship first. If you've taken time to build a relationship, then there's a trust factor with those that you're leading and there's a trust factor um, with them and you and your leadership skill. Um, and, and you don't have to have all the answers. People lose confidence when they, they get asked questions and they, they think that they have to have all the answers. You're not any less of a leader when you say, you know, that's a good question. I think we can find that out together. Um, that's, that's not being less of a leader. Now, um, the confidence piece stems from your belief system. And if when I begin to work with leaders coaching them, I ask them to write down their values. What do you value about what you're doing? I am surprised at how few people can articulate their core values. <clears throat> I stumble on the word articulate. Excuse me. Let me articulate that value. Write it down. Know what you value. How are you going to build goals? How are you going to build teams? And how are you going to build a business if you don't identify what you value about this? Because if you're not consistent with what you value as a person and what you value in this this organization, this business, um, this event that you're planning, then how can you expect to be successful? I think that's at the core of confidence. When you begin identifying your values, then you begin writing very specific, smart goals, specific, measurable. I change the A to accountable, uh, realistic, and timed. When you write your goals with that criteria, the accountable means you're going to take that written goal and you're going to share it with somebody. That's the power piece in the goal. It activates that goal and it keeps you on track. You're going to share it with three people, not your mother, not your wife, not your best friend. You're going to share it with three people that's going to, that are going to make you feel accountable, whether they talk to you or not. The fact that you've shared it is, is, is sometimes enough, but it, the process of sharing it, you've also built that law of attraction. You've built a belief system with somebody else because they know what you're doing, and, and you've created an energy field that's going to work towards your goal. And that's a very powerful piece in goal, and it's also an affirming piece that helps you feel confident because you've laid it out for your team and you've made it a team project because it's their business too. They're working for it, and their livelihood depends on the business. So I think you could be confident if you've been willing to be vulnerable and lay it out there and say, it's my vision, it's our team, let's start working on it. So um, the confidence piece is very important but it stems from your planning and knowing exactly what you want, and then you can figure out how to get there. Yes. And, you know, and I, I think the one key factor in that also is just that so many people, when, they're, when they are working for a company or for an organization or in an event, if they don't take ownership of that, of what they're doing, you know, they don't, if they don't show any type of passion towards what they're doing, they're not going to really do an effective job. You know, and so it takes that type of leadership to to build that passion. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You're right on track. How many yeah. times have you talked to a leader and they said, my team just won't come through. They won't, they won't do what I want them to do. And, and in talking to the leader, well, that leader has not only given the goal, but has given every single step of the goal. So it's his project. It's not their project. Mm-hmm. How can they have any ownership? So um, it takes it takes a little bit of courage to step out on a limb and begin this process and then begin to trust people. Um, and then when you set the steps, the other piece is leaders don't start until it's all done. That's called uh, perfection paralysis. You don't have to have it all defined. You clearly define the goal. You identify the major benchmarks, and then you invite your team in to help you define the steps. Here's a tip that... that that your listeners can take into any part of their lives, personal goals, business goals, community, church, whatever they serve on. Um, I see a lot of strategic plans that are sitting on the shelf 
gathering dust when I go into work with organizations. I see a lot of leaders that have goals. They're written down, but they can't find them. Mm. So when, when, when leaders go through a, an academic exercise of writing the goal, they look at it and they go, wow, that's big. And they put it in the drawer. So here's the tip. Um, put the goal in a notebook. Read it every single day. And divide your goal into 30-day benchmarks and divide the benchmarks into daily high-value achievements. Now, if you took a goal and you defined, say, this is Wednesday, tomorrow's Thursday, you sat down at the end of today and you said, tomorrow I'm going to do X, Y, Z. Now, X, Y, and Z are important. I said high-value, and I said achievements. We're looking toward results. So there are activities that could take you five minutes, could take you an hour or two. It's not important how long it takes. What's important is that it's something of value that you've put your time toward. So if you define three high-value achievements to do every single day, that's five days a week, 15 in a week, that's 60 in a month. If you did 60 key things in a month towards your goal, don't you think that would move you in a significant direction towards your goal? Oh, yes, absolutely. So the tip is break it down into something you can do and don't plan in today's value activities, um, value achievements. Plan tomorrow's and then end the day, review it, plan the next day. It just takes a few minutes, and as you work along on it, you get better and you're able to do a little more and you're able to do it more effectively. It's like you begin working out and lifting weights. It's really hard to, to lift a light weight, but the more you're faithful with that and the more you work out, you can step up to heavier weights and you can do more. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. You're exercising the skill set. Awesome, awesome. You know, and exercise is always good. <laughs> you know, the one thing that that I like about what you said was you know, start small. Do three little things. You know, high value things though. You yeah. know, and if you do that every day, look how much you can get accomplished. You know, and so many people what they'll do is they'll have a goal and they'll say, This is what I want to do and here are all the steps and then they'll sit on those steps and they'll maybe focus on one one goal at a time and say, Okay, I'm only gonna do this and if that doesn't come through for them then they sit back and they get discouraged. You know, what are some of the things that you tell people about, you know, not getting, you know, not becoming distraught or discouraged or, you know, weighed down by all these quote-unquote responsibilities that they have to put towards their goal? There's two, there's two key pieces that I see that's consistent with leaders, and Napoleon Hill discovered this as well. Um, many of those people had what they call a mastermind group. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a it's a peer group or a group of people you feel are of of higher caliber or greater skill than yourself. Um, someone once said that we're the sum total of the five people we hang out with the most. And don't you want to be at the top of that list? So if you if you hang out with people that are you you perceive are better than you are that have a a success factor that's pretty high, then you're going to rise to that level. Um, and so you want to choose those people very carefully. And there's a very distinct methodology you share with each other, and the whole team helps you solve your problems, and you help them solve their problems. So a team of, of three to five is, is, is pertinent. The other piece is I find that successful people have a coach. And I'm not just saying this because that's, that's part of what I do. I, I was watching Johnny Carson's show, and that, that sort of dates me. It's been a few years. And John Davidson came on to sing a song, and then he sat on the couch to talk to Johnny, Johnny, and he and he was talking about his new show in Las Vegas, big time singer, big time show, and he's talking to Johnny, and he says the other day in my voice lesson, and Johnny stopped him. He said, "Wait a minute, you're a big star, you make a lot of money doing this, and you're taking voice lessons," and and John Davidson looked at him and said, "Yes, if I want to stay my very best." If I want to stay at the top of my game, I'm going to have somebody that's, that's going to work with me that's going to help me stay there. So the, the accountability piece, the ability to have a sounding board, the ability to have someone that's a confidential relationship that can help you identify 
your strengths and weaknesses, identify strategies and identify um, procedures and processes for making good decisions um, is invaluable. So I think um, everyone should have a coach. And it's not something you do every week necessarily, but it's something you have on a consistent basis as you're growing your business and you're growing your skill set. I tell you what, that book that you keep talking about, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, I, I think every <laughs> anybody uh, that wants to do anything, you can pull from that book. That that book is so powerful. I, I, I keep that book with me. And I told Brian, I read something, parts of that book every single day. It's, it's one of those types of books. Yes, it's one of those books that you can't get tired of reading it, just like, if we get this book, Transforming Power, it's, I, I'm pretty sure it, it's just as powerful. But if the people want to get that book, Mr. Uh, Mr. how can they get it? We want to put that out there right now. The book is Transforming Power. And, and I made a website, transformingpowerbook.com. I wanted to keep it simple, transformingpowerbook.com. And it takes you to a website that, that tells you a little about the book. And it says, we just happen to have a, a little Amazon uh, picture of the book. You click on that, it takes you to Amazon, and you buy the book. But then you come back to the website, and you click on number two, and you put in your name and email and your Amazon receipt, and it sends you an email with a link to a page that it was $2,500 yesterday. It's $3,000 worth of free leadership tools, um, e-books, articles, coaching sessions, uh, strategic planning initiatives. There are wonderful resources from leadership uh, developers around the country that have said, Hugh, um, I want to support the people that buy your books, so I'm going to give them something free. And they're without any hitch. They can download it and have it themselves. So transformingpowerbook.com. We're trying to give people incentive because we think people ought to have this book. There's wonderful stories. Um, wonderful stories to learn from in that book. I want to ask you about courage. I, I, I heard you mention courage. Do you think it's important for the leader? Uh, I, I'll just say me. I made up in my mind to do things and lead and not worry about failure, not worrying about stumbling, because I know that's going to happen because everybody, we don't know everything. And uh, I, I think a lot of people are afraid and embarrassed when they do things the wrong way. I, I don't think like that anymore. I think, okay, I, I did something. I made a mistake because I didn't know something. I learned from that. Now I know not to repeat that same thing, and I'll just keep doing it. Why do you think people are embarrassed by what other people think? Boy, that's a mystery, isn't it? I think yeah. we all have, have some of that. We want people to perceive us as better than uh than, than we are, but um, if I worried about all my failures, I would never get in front of a group and talk. Um, when I look at my videos, I go, oh, why did I say that? But while I'm up there, I have to focus on what I have learned from my failures, and failures are a gift. Um, one of the quotes from Napoleon Hill, another one is, uh, in every failure, there's a seed of a future success. That's right. And he learned from Henry Ford and Thomas Edison and, and five presidents. The people he interviewed failed a lot. So um, he he figured out that they learned a great amount from from their failures. Uh, Thomas Edison went bankrupt eleven times. That's right. He had he had a challenge. We uh, we forget that some of the uh, the baseball home run record holders also held the strikeout record. <laughs> We forget about Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron, uh, and those. I'm not a baseball fan, but I know those those facts. Um, you know, and 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 Carnegie said to Hill in that interview, "Any idea that's held in the mind that's either emphasized or feared will begin itself. To, will begin at once to manifest itself in the most appropriate and convenient physical form available." So the the law of attraction says we attract to us what we are. We don't attract to us what we need. So you're programming your subconscious mind when you write your goals, when you're very specific about, yes, I can do it. I loved the the book when I was a kid, the, the engine that could, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. 
and we program ourselves to succeed by our thoughts. So you go back to the Bible, you go back to great writings in history, and you find examples where people have, have put positive thoughts into action, and you bring that energy to yourself. So you give energy to what you think about. If you think about, oh, I'm going to fall down, well, guess what? You're going to get dizzy and fall down. So uh, think about soaring, about succeeding. Can I talk about just a couple of the people sure. in the book a second? Sure, sure, sure. There's a there's there's a number of authors. Um, um, Bishop Kobe Fitzgerald is a, a pastor of a small African American church in very rural Alabama. They decided they want to do something for the poor, so they started a restaurant, and they decided they'd use this restaurant to help um, help bring in some money and help bring in resources to feed the poor. Uh, Roland Rink is the editor of the uh, famous um, Upper Room um, label for the Methodist Church. It's a devotion series. It's a book series. And he's in South Africa and and has been part of a transformation of the whole culture of that country. David Stanley grew up as Elvis Presley's stepbrother um, and turned and was his bodyguard. And David had this idea written on a napkin that he wanted to make a, write a book and make a movie about his life. Well, David believed in that. He got the book published, he raised money, and the movie came out last year. So his story is about enabling other people to work in the envelope. And two more. Uh, B.J. Dorman was in prison 10 years ago. His best friend was state attorney and turned against him in a minor infraction that may not have been too much for anybody else, um, he went after Bernie and put him in jail. Bernie now has this huge uh, entrepreneurial forum and teaches people how to be compliant in their businesses and how to build strong businesses. And the last one I'll talk about is William Willowman. He's written 50 books, which are currently in print. And he's, he's a speaker, uh, besides an author, and he's a bishop in the Methodist Church, and he's he's in the midst of changing the system, which doesn't work anymore. And he's, his story is not of an, a finished transformation. It's a transformation in process. So the title of his story is, What If I'm Wrong? And that, i got to tell you, that takes a lot of guts. How many of us have been in a, in a project and we have doubts along the way? So it's nice to look at somebody who's famous, who's had a great success record, and they say to you, What if I'm wrong? That in itself is inspiration without even reading the story. But, uh, yeah. you know, you go on to read the story and you find out a whole lot of other things. So I think we are inspired by reading other people's stories. So there's some good stories in this book. And you can, uh, it's, it's a kind of book for people like me that are busy. You can pick it up and read a story. It's very short. And you can put it down and later you can come back and read another one. Uh, and you can read them in any order you want. So that's the way all my books are, by the way. I'm... <laughs> I want to give people useful information that can inspire them, and they go right away and use it. I don't want it to be an academic exercise. I went to college. I don't need to make other people go through that drudgery. Right, right. You know, you. I wanted to ask you this question, and uh, I want to know, what was your inspiration behind starting Center Vision International? Uh, that's a great question. I took the word synergy. And Covey, um, the seven secrets of highly effective people, Covey defines synergy as the, the total that's greater than the sum of the parts. And when you take transformation, I told you I worked 40 years as a conductor. I have people come into a room that are singers. You transform them into a choir. And then as the choir learns some music and they work together, you transform them into an ensemble. That's what business leaders do with teams. They take individual personalities and they transform it into this community that, that breathes together, that sees the same vision. And when you put together that energy and you clearly define your outcomes and you build on the skill set of your team, you build a synergy. So you build synergy by building a common vision. Um, so I thought those words went, went really well together. And I, I worked facilitating group planning processes and found that to be true uh, even before I started my company. I found that people just, they could 
if you've got an orchestra, you can create a whole lot of sound, and you can do things you can't do in your living room with your trombone by yourself. Right. So you build this great synergy with all the different sounds, all the different skill sets of your team, and you really can't do that alone. So synergy depends on the collaborative efforts of your team, and, mm-hmm. um, and they can't do it without that vision. So it, it inspired me to name it, and then naming it has inspired me to move, move further into my process. Wow. And I'm almost speechless, <laughs> which is very hard for me to be. But, you know, I just that's just so profound. In your introduction to me, you t- I, th- there was a, a word called consensus. Yeah. <laughs> and that's part of it. That's part of it. And I think most people misunderstand consensus. They think that everybody has to agree, and it's a win-lose. Um, Robert's rules of order are, are time-honored. They're proven. It's a good system. I think this is another tool for your toolkit in addition to Robert's Rules of Order. Um, if you have a group come in and they're divided on an issue and they come to a meeting, somebody makes a motion, somebody seconds it, you have discussion, they call the question, you vote, it passes five to four, people leave still divided. If you, if you push for consensus without a vote, what can we agree on that, that's better than any of us thought of. Sometimes you can build a solution that's way better than you came in with. If you have solution A and solution B and they're in conflict, well, maybe there's C, D, E, and F, and G. You might get to H, which is something you've gotten to because you've been willing to brainstorm. And in the process, you've built relationship, you've built trust, and everybody's come to a new vision of what the possibilities are. So consensus takes longer. But it's a process that builds the team and builds the synergy. And actually, you have to work with it less because people are believers because they've, they've worked on the, the idea, whatever it is. And they, and they not only believe it, they know it to be true. And, you know, the other thing that I thought about, you know, when you're talking about how it takes a longer process, you also get a greater knowledge of the process as you're, you know, as you're, delving out and trying to decide on something that everybody can be amenable to. Absolutely. Absolutely. I used to get um, really ticked. Um, it, people, I'd, I'd do a concert and and perform these really difficult pieces of music. And people would come and say, oh, that's really nice. You know, what do you do in your spare time? Well, they don't realize that's the tip of the iceberg that what goes into the preparation of the music, the preparation of the concert, the publicity, the whole the whole nine yards that goes into that one event. And if a leader has a success and people haven't been on board with that project, they don't really know how hard it was to get to the to the end result. So your your point you make is very, very important. Um, if people are part of the project, they know how hard it is to get there. And they're believers, and, and they're going to help you get there because they own it, and they're going to understand how much you've worked as a leader because you got your, you're not delegating and, and forgetting. You're delegating and working. Um, so delegation doesn't mean you give it to the team and you go lock yourself in your office and play games. It means you're part of the team. Uh, you're coaching and you're providing information and you're doing your part. So Hugh, that's, a, seen, that's a key piece you just identified. Yeah. Hugh, I've seen people that think they're leaders, but they're actually being, you know, a lot of people mock them. And they have this arrogance that goes along with what they think is a leader. Uh, I, I believe a lot of people love to dictate and they get uh, delegate. They, I think they get those two um, things mixed up. Yep. And and when you have someone like that that don't want to listen, that think they know every single thing, that's a dangerous person that you're dealing with. And and I, and pretty much the productivity of that organization or that group that that person is over is probably is probably suffering to some degree. Let me tell you a quick little story. I, I coached with some power people, and in one session one day, I had a, a leader that had said to me. Hugh, I've, I've got to go in and work with my team right after this, this coaching session. And there's some things I don't feel comfortable doing, I don't do very well. 
what do I do about that with my team? My team. And I said to him, well, why don't you throw it to your team and see see what they say they can help you with. And he said, this is a very key point. He said to me, I can't tell them I have weaknesses. And a coach listens, and a coach asks good questions. So I said to him, after a minute of silence, don't you think they already know? <laughs> so part of it's being honest with yourself and honest with your team. It's back to that, that vulnerable piece. If, if you're going to make music, you have to be vulnerable in front of the orchestra. If you want to lead power teams, there's a certain point of being vulnerable, like the, the leader that went to his team and said, I, I got this job because of my genes. He, in the next call the next week, he said, guess what? I said, I got these gaps in my, my leadership skills, and I need somebody to do this administrative piece, need somebody to do the writing piece. And he said, without exception, people stepped up to the plate and said, I'd like to do that for you. And what he, what, what he observed to me after that, he says, you know, I've pretended not to have these weaknesses, and it's kind of like they're out to get me. They're out to prove that I got this weakness so I can see it. So if you're not kidding anybody but yourself if you're not being honest with people because they can see it, they can smell it. If you, I taught middle school at one time, and everybody should do that. It's a great leadership uh, skill-building set. If you walk in the room and you're afraid of them and you're not prepared, they can smell it and they'll mm-hmm. eat your lunch. <laughs> Being a corporate leader is not too far from that. And you know what? Brian and I, when we go into the uh, jails and prisons here in, in Florida, you are absolutely right. They can smell if you know what you're talking about. They can tell if you're confident. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, they are going to destroy you. <laughs> mm-hmm. When you're in there talking to those guys, and even the, the kids are the same way. When we go to the detention center, they'll give you about a couple seconds, and that's about it. If, if yeah. you're not sincere and you don't know your stuff, they're gonna let you know. <laughs> they'll ignore <laughs> you. They'll talk all over you. That it, and they it, are not afraid to challenge you. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. They will yeah. challenge your knowledge. <laughs> and you, you know, know what? You gotta appreciate the honesty of that. Yes. Yes. And, and what we were talking about conflict a while ago, there's this, this, this passive-aggressive under-the-table stuff that goes on in, in a lot of corporate cultures where people are out to get each other and, and they're not talking about it openly. And, and that's the prerogative of the leader is to speak the truth and to ask people to do that and to eliminate any passive, any passive-aggressive content, or conduct, excuse me, and make sure that people are speaking straight. And sometimes you have to blow the whistle on people. And when when they're not being straightforward, they're not being honest. Um, you can call them on it. That's that's I call that paying the upfront price. As soon as you see it happen, you deal with it. That's one of the conflict pieces. You deal with things that are out of line immediately. If you don't, the price gets higher and higher the more it goes on. So pay the upfront price and deal with it as soon as you can. Yeah, you know, and and that's important because now that I think about how. I've seen other people, uh, like I've done forums, and someone will get up and they'll have the quote-unquote answer to a particular question. And um, I've actually done some uh, health-related forums with HIV and AIDS prevention, and I've seen people stand up and they're on the panel, but they're not talking about, they're not giving correct information. And people in the audience know it, you know, and and they're sort of like, well, I'm on the panel, I'm the expert, blah, 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 blah. And I've actually seen people where they'll say, well, here are the real facts, so I might as well take your seat. You know, and it's like, wow, you know, don't, you know, in all my times where I've gone out, the one thing that I've tried not to do is BS people, you know, because they can smell it. Oh, (laughs) yes. Yeah, and how are you going to lead them if they're, if they're doubting you and they can't trust you. Exactly. You know, and like Greg said with uh with the youth. Um I work with the youth group here and uh when I first start working with them, you know, they treat you just like they treat everybody else. And uh when they finally realize that I that I wasn't just doing it just to do it or doing it just to get paid or anything, that I was really genuinely honestly interested in what they thought and I let them do most of the talking. You know, because I didn't know anything about them. They didn't know anything about me. So I had to give a lot of myself to them and tell them about the things that I did as a youth in order for 
them to also give me some of the things that they do and talk about. And it's like now when they see me, they're like, hey, you know, and they'll have a conversation with me. And the other adults will say, well, who is that guy? You know, and that's, oh, that's my, you know, my coach. And, you know, it's like once they realize that you genuinely have an interest in them, you're knowledgeable about the things that they want to know about, you know, then you, you won't really have a problem reaching them. And you've taken time to build that relationship and build the trust mm-hmm. with them. I, I think you've hit on one of the key points of transformational uh, leadership. It's about integrity of the leader. If you you must model um, what you want to see in your team, you must model uh, high ethics. You must model that you're a team player yourself, and you must model that you're going to speak the truth. The old biblical principle: speak the truth in love. You can say to people straightforward in an assertive manner how you feel. You don't need to attack them. You don't need to phrase it in a way that's going to hurt their feelings. Uh, however, you can tell the truth, and people appreciate that. And I think that builds trust. And what you've done with those kids is you've shot straight, and you've showed them you care about them, and you've, you've built a relationship between you and them. It's no different if you're in the corporate boardroom or you're building church committees or you're building a nonprofit, it's the same routine, the same dynamics. Because we're it's people. People working with people. And we're and and we assume, um, I think we should assume, that everybody is there because they are interested in what they're doing and want to do a good job. Now, if they're in prison or in detention, um, we can assume that um, they may be lacking a piece of information that might help them be better people and we can help them connect with that. So there's always a a connection with us and those people whom we lead, that if we really care about it, we'll um, we'll find that. You know, do, do you think, you know, with the kids and Brian was just talking about and people in the corporate where everybody wants the same thing, they want you to be honest with them, uh, is it safe to say that as humans we want people to earn their trust? Do you think that? That's just how it is. That just human nature. That they don't want automatically just trust and believe in what you're doing. They want you to prove to them that you are legit and that you're sincere and that you know what you're talking about. We all have our our differences and personalities, and I tend to be very trusting. And people get me sometimes that aren't trustworthy. Um, other times when I'm meeting somebody and I, I need a little time before I can trust them. Um, I think you build, it's part of building the relationship. And and part of it is style. How do your styles match? How do your personalities match? How do the way you work match? There's all the kinds of pieces of conflict embedded in those pieces. But but there's also, can I trust this person? I, mean, I can work with somebody I don't like and I don't agree with their, their, their project, but they want me to help them with it. And if, if they trust me and I trust them because we've, we've identified our relationship along the way, I would much rather work with them than a person that I like the project, but I, I, I have this, this lack of trust because they won't be open with me. So I think you as the leader set the trend there, and you allow enough time to build a relationship, and along with that um, builds the trust. You... you um, especially when you work with teams. The relationship becomes process. So you invite people to work with you or be on a project team because you have a relationship. That becomes a process. The process then builds trust with that community of the team, and then it creates a new relationship. You build a community, you build a new relationship. So allow the process to happen. And, and you cannot identify how fast it's going to go. So I think being patient and being observant, not being a procrastinator, procrastinator in, in what I'm saying, but give it time and uh, work on the relationship. I, I, I've said many times in this conversation, probably too many, that leadership is a lot to do with relationship. Yeah, I, and I agree. I, I think it has everything to do with relationship. Brian, well, we can barely hear you, Brian. Oh, I'm sorry. I say I think it has everything to do with relationship. You know, because if I don't have a good relationship with somebody who I'm supposed to be following, I don't really want to follow them, (laughs) you know. And if I do follow them, if I have to follow them, I'm going to regret 
following them, you know. And if I'm supposed to be handling a task, my mind is not on that task. It's on the fact that i got to follow this person who I don't have a good relationship with. And and if they don't care about you, it comes through. Oh yes. And, and why would you want to follow somebody that doesn't care diddly about you as a person? So so leading people, transformational leadership is having the vision, articulating it, um, equipping leaders around you, um, and 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 you let people be who they are. You give them the skill set that you need that they don't have. You help them get, gain that skill set, but you also affirm who they are, um, and you build trust through that. Um, it's a, it's an important piece. It's a very important piece. You know, with your nonprofit organizations and your churches, do you is it a little different in churches when when you are teaching or instructing them on uh, I, I guess leadership? Do you teach them a little bit different, or is everything the same? You know what? You could you could change the geography. You could change the type of organization and the mission, and the problems are pretty much the same. I do believe that working in church, I've done a lot of uh, works in churches, and that's some of the most difficult um, arenas that I work in. You have a lot of, and nonprofits sometimes have some of the same routines because you've got um, volunteers and and you've got some some routines that are going on there that aren't as healthy. But you know what? That the same thing happens in the in the corporations. Same thing happens in small companies where people uh, just aren't bonding and they're not thinking seriously about what it is they want to accomplish together. Um, so I don't think it's different. I think good leadership is good leadership, period. And you can you can transfer that. In some of the large churches that I've worked in, um, the boards and the committees have been made up of, of big company officers, CEOs, CFOs, COOs. And they're no different than the, the, the person that works out of their house. Um, so I think when you put all the mind, minds together, you want to get the best thinking skills out of your team. And you can squelch that if you do not allow people to, to put things on the table and to brainstorm and to contribute uh, to the process. So assume that people want to do the best job and allow them the, uh, the opportunity and create the environment uh, that's that's the other piece. The leader creates the environment for people to contribute their best efforts and be rewarded for it. And don't forget, celebrate when you have success. Have you ever been part of an organization that nobody ever celebrated? They finished one project and went right into the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Do a high five or something. You don't have ice cream. You know? Do something. <laughs> celebrate. Yeah. It'll it'll empower your next project. You know I. I can actually say that I've been a part of an organization that when I first got there, they were like that, where they would party and, you know, they'd celebrate. And then towards the end of my tenure there, it was just complete opposite. It was like where we couldn't party, no celebrations, you know, because some, maybe somebody doesn't like to party. And, you know, I mean, it was just, it became so mechanical that it was like all we were doing was just, you know, like building cars, building cars. Every time, every time that next project came in, you got it done, you push it along, and you pull the next, you know, project up. And you know, the morale was just completely dead. You know, nobody liked what they were doing, and initially, everybody loved what they were doing. So you know, you have some people that are just absolute morale killers. Oh my word! Oh my word! It, absolutely, absolutely. So the, the celebration piece um, is so critical. And, and you know what? All of these people, all these processes and all these pieces of the puzzle work together. The, the whole process works together for the, for the good of the whole. So it's, it's about learning process and it's about leaders. I think effective leaders are always looking for and learning new techniques. They're putting new tools in their leadership toolkit. Not that the old ones don't work, but as you grow, as your team grows, as your business grows, you're going to need some new tools to, to, to address the situation. What's the old adage, if the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail? <laughs> uh-huh. 
Wow. So um, the 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 uh, useful things here are you want to build your team, you want to define your your baby steps that you can do not only with your goals but your team goals, and you want to build a belief system that everybody can buy into. Mm. You know, I, I, we have about four minutes left in the show, but I want to ask a, a very pointed question. <laughs> you know, you talk about, you know, building a system that everybody will buy into, you know, and I was going to ask you about this earlier. You know, does it have to be something that everybody buys into? Because you're going to have somebody that doesn't like it, some part of it, or does it have to have enough elements in it to where everybody can sort of say, okay, fine, there's some things I like, there's some things I don't like, but overall, this is the best way to do this particular project. That's the net result of, of, of building consensus. Um, it's not that you agree and you, you just love every project, but, but because you have spent time debating it and looking at it and fine-tuning it and looking at options, you as a group have come to a decision that this is the very best thing for the organization. So... You're giving your consent, not that you agree, not that it's a win-lose, but you're saying, yes, I can see why that's the best solution for the organization. And because I can see that, I'm going to put my energy behind it. Now, sometimes people don't feel real good about the decisions and they're part of a team, and it's okay to abstain and say, I don't want to be a part of this conversation. But because they have been a part of it, because they have relationships uh, with that team as a team, then they're going to be supportive of that project. You don't want to have an adversarial relationship where people are going to try to shoot down your project or, or stand in the way. Um, what you want to do is, is to build a, a collaborative relationship where people are going to be helping you, even in a passive way. They can, they can be supporting you and, and your project. So, no, not everybody's going to buy into every project, and it doesn't have to be that way. But, you know, some things uh, they'll, they'll realize it's good and they'll begin working on it. And in the process of working on it, um, their belief system might change. So I've seen that happen many times as well. Hmm. Because they don't really get it until they get into some of, the, some of the process and they actually see some things working and they say, okay, I'm on board. And I've had many team members come on board even after we've decided as a group that this is good and we're going to go for it. And they say, okay, I trust you. Uh, so I'm going to give my support to it, and we're going to begin on it. And I've I've had teams where people have said, "Aha, I get it now." Um, so not everybody works at the same speed. Not everybody processes informa- processes information the same way. So giving people the latitude to be themselves, but still being in charge. It, the, there's a lot to learn in in working with people, and that this this you learn when to push and when not to push when to interfere in process and when to let people struggle and learn on their own. So not being afraid to move forward and to start your project and to ask people to commit to it. If you ask people to commit, that's the first that's the first step. Take a step toward your goal and know that you're going to get there. All right. All you right. are the, the one of the just as a parting piece the one of the definitions of a transformational leader is that you're out front as a cheerleader. Um, a servant leader is is in the similar realm where they they influence people not by the power of their position but the power of their character and their personal influence. Um, and a transformational leader does that as well. Where on the other end of the spectrum, the charismatic leader, it's all about them. They have charisma. They empower people, influence people, but it's about them. The transformational leader, it's about the vision. It's about the organization. So you do influence people because in both both of those extremes the leader is charismatic so um don't be afraid to to say to people let's do it and follow me because you'll be surprised at the results all right ladies and gentlemen hugh Ballou, go to the website leadershiptransform.com hugh Ballou, that's b-a-l-l-o-u.com Buy his book, Transforming Leadership, Transformational Leadership. Is that right? TransformingPowerBook.com. Transforming PowerBook. Thank you. My mind is so stuck on the leadership part. (laughs) Uh, With that being said, 
You've been listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Please join us on Monday evening, 9 p.m., Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and God bless. God bless you. Thank you.